You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church Northwest. My name is John. I serve as the pastor of liturgy and Sunday environments here. And uh, glad that you're here. You doing well? You look good? So Grace Point Church Northwest is a part of a collective of churches that consists currently of two churches here in Las Vegas. One obviously is here at Peterson in Northwest, and the other one is in North Las Vegas. And together we live to make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. And we're glad that you're here this morning. If this is your first or second time, I want to remind you that in the table right outside, we have a gift for you, first time, second time guests. We'd love for you to stop by and, and uh, grab one of those gifts on your way out. Now, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We're currently in a series entitled Advent, Already Not Yet. This, ad, this word Advent is a Latin term that simply means coming or arrival, and this is an already not yet reality that we experience this time of year. For during this season, you and I, we get to join with Christians all over the world and taking time to focus intently on Jesus' first coming while we also joyfully anticipate Jesus' second coming. And it's during this season, this in-between time of Jesus' first coming and His second coming, that we see that God has given us love. So let's take a look at our text. I'm gonna, it's, since it's only a few verses, I'm going to read through it, and then we'll pray and we'll dive into it. Sound good? All right. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because, well, God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Now, my goal this morning is to help make sense of this text, both practically and relationally, especially in regards to the concept of love and the reality that you and I, we live in a time and space, we live in a culture and a society that has twisted and redefined love to be something completely opposite of what it actually is. So, tell me, if I were to ask you that question, how would you define it? What is love? Let's pray and then we'll jump into this. God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. Overwhelmed by your goodness, and we just ask, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to a greater understanding of the gospel, Lord, that you would soften these areas in our hearts that have calloused up or hardened, and Lord, that we would see you clearly, that you would stir our affections for Jesus, that we would love you more and follow you more closely, and, and Lord, we just, just ask, Lord, that you would make your presence evident in this space today, and and God, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you this morning, for you are my rock, my redeemer. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. What is love? Well, a group of professionals posed this question to a group of four to eight-year-olds, and, and this was their response to the question, what is love? Chrissy, she's six years old, and, and she said, well, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. 
And Terry, she's four, says that love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, who's seven years old, says love is when mommy makes coffee for daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> Bobby, he's five years old, and he says love is what's in the room when you, with you at Christmas when you stop opening presents and you, and you listen. Marianne, this might be my favorite one. She's four years old, and she says love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. <laughs> We've got two more. Jessica, she's seven, and she said... You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. Rebecca, she's eight. She says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands have arthritis too. That's love. Now, it's one thing to get a child's perspective on love. It's another thing to get an adult's perspective on love. But it's even better to get God's perspective on love. Because love well, has many faces. People see it in all sorts of shapes and sizes. For many of us, we've either experienced or expressed a love that was in reality not really love at all. You see, because you and I, we are bombarded every day by culture's definitions and examples and expressions of love. And, and while we've built our marriages, our friendships, our relationships on these false understandings of what love is. See, the world in which we live has an anemic understanding of love. The world has defined love to be something that's either selfish, emotional and fleeting, or simply physical. I mean, just take a moment and step back and look at history, look at pop culture and music and movies, and you will see a love that's ultimately expressed superficially, selfishly, and sinful. And the crazy thing is, is that, well, we've bought into this. And now, I need to be clear for a second and take a sidebar, because we're not saying that non-Christians cannot love. Sadly, sometimes... They love better than Christians do, and I don't think that should surprise us, and here's why. You see, we're all made in the image of God, and in spite of our depravity and sinfulness, we'll give reflection of the one whose image we bear. But the old theologian, I. Howard Marshall, is very helpful when he says this. He says, human love, however noble, however highly motivated, falls short if it refuses to include the Father and Son as the supreme objects of its affections. See, such love fails to honor the greatest love commandment that we heard in the video prior just a, just a few minutes ago. The commandment that we would love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And so with this in mind, John in 1 John 4 wants to remind us of what love really is as he takes us to the very source and the very origin of love. Let's look back at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, love is not like other subjects. It cannot be understood and then practiced. It can only be understood by practice. It's much more like measles than it is like math. John affirms that the essence and the evidence of Christian living is love. John is saying, hey, if you know God, if you have an intimate friendship and relationship with Jesus, if you're doing life with him, if you've experienced him and encountered him, then you and I, well, we should be loving like him. And this word love, well, it's a big word. The word John is using in this text is not speaking to brotherly love or even a friendship type of love. This, this isn't a love that's based on affinity or attraction, but rather this word that John is using in our text is the word agape. Agape love is, is not a sentimental, sappy, emotional word necessarily. It's not an Oprah group hug type of word. It's Agape is a word that involves your emotions, but more than that, the biblical concept of agape is a love that's unconditional. It's a love that's supernatural, a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that doesn't stop. 
It's a love that needs no reciprocation. It's a love that cannot be resisted. Whether you respond or not, like me or don't, hurt me or speak ill, whosoever and whenever, I'm going to continue to love kind of love. I'm going to continue to believe the best. I'm going to continue to serve. I'm going to continue to forgive. I'm going to continue to unconditionally and relentlessly love you, serve you, honor you with my heart and in my mind and with my words and with my actions. Agape. You see, John here is literally asking you and he's asking me to love like Jesus. How do we even do that? Is this even possible? How can we as a community begin to love and experience this agape love? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 7, again, he says, beloved. This word beloved simply means you be loved by God. You are so loved by God, now let us love one another. By the way, that's always going to be the order. Because you are so loved by God, let us now love one another. It's never going to be, let us love one another so that we can then be loved by God. It's because we are so loved by God, let us now love one another. The order of that is is extremely important. Because by the way, you will lose the fire and lose the passion and capacity and the capability to love anyone if you lose sight of the extraordinary, extensive, unconditional love that Jesus has for you. The power to live this life of agape love is not in your ability to love, but rather the power to live this life of love is found in a life obsessed and adoring and honoring and focusing on and studying about and singing about the good news of the gospel. And the big idea that God is love and He loves us so much. Verse 7 again, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Where is love from? God. This is such an awesome and important statement. Love is from God, which means love is not from culture. Love is not from feelings or emotions. The definition, the essence, the origin of love is from God. And he continues and says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So, why are we to love one another? Because love is from God. Real love, true love, always has its origin and source in God, and whoever loves with this God kind of love gives evidence that, well, you know God. Does that make sense? This love is evidence that you have been born of God. You see, verse 7 here is speaking of regeneration. It's speaking about a new birth. It's speaking about being born again and God uniting your spiritually dead, selfish heart with His living and loving heart so that your, His life becomes your life and His love becomes your love. You see, not only Do those who love with a God kind of love give evidence that they have been born of God, but they demonstrate an ongoing habit of life that they know God? They don't simply know about God. They know Him intimately and personally as Father. You see, I went to see a Padres game several years ago who happened to be my favorite baseball team. Some people don't even know they exist, but I'm their one and only fan, and it's awesome. But my wife and I were seated next to the bullpen, and one of my favorite relief pitchers were up, and he started throwing. It was about the seventh inning, and it's about his time where he did, went in and did work. And I looked over at him, and I said, hey, Mike, as though I knew him. And he turned around, thinking he recognized the voice to see my face, and realized he did not know me at all. You see, I knew him, but I didn't know him. And he had no idea who I was, and I embarrassed my wife tremendously. <laughs> but Mike Adams said, hey, and went back to throwing. And it was embarrassing for everybody except for me. <laughs> See, there's a difference between knowing and actually knowing. Knowing about 
and knowing intimately. See, when God loves, he does not say, I love you if, fill in the blank, or I love you because, fill in the blank. There's nothing in us that would cause God to love us. You understand that? We are sinners and we are rebels and enemies, and God's love for us doesn't have anything to do with something in and of ourselves that caused him to love us. God's love for us is motivated by who he is, not by who we are. Let's continue in verse 8. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What a profound statement, God is love. See, love is the very character, it's the very essence, it's the nature of God. This means he seeks the best for others, even at great cost and expense to himself. It's God's nature to love, to give, to sacrifice. Love's source is in God, and we love like God loves. We give evidence that we are connected to love's source, because God is love. Now, I think it would be helpful to kind of take a sidebar and, and expand on this a little further and unpack this idea. First, we cannot reverse this statement and say that love is God. God is love, but we can't reverse that. All love is not God-like love. For example, logically, A is B does not mean the same thing as A equals B. If A equals B, then B equals A. But if A is B, that does not mean that B is A. Who in the world <laughs> understands what I just said? Well, yeah, we got a couple. I have no clue. I've confused myself, but let me try it this way. God is love, but love is not God. Love does not define God. God, well, he defines love. You see, by means of God revealing himself through Jesus and the scriptures, God teaches us what love is all about. Love is not just an attribute of God. It's not just a, a part of a, a personality. It's, love is a part of God's very nature, and love can never be absent from God. Secondly, God's love is more than just emotion. It's more than just goodwill. It's his settled disposition towards us that flows from his very nature and flows from his very being. For example, the sun shines on the earth not because the earth is the earth, but because the sun is the sun. And in the same way, God loves me not because of who I am, but because of who he is. C.H. Dodd is helpful when he says this, this statement might stand along other statements such as God creates, God rules, God judges. That is to say, it means that love is one of his activities. But to say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity, even in his judgment. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is to the expression of his nature, which is to love. Friends, this is God, who by his very nature is perfect, sovereign, needing nothing, with no ambitions to fill or goals to attain, he chose to create. And he not only created the universe, but he chose to create human beings and to love them. And even when we rebelled against him and deserve eternal death, he chose to love us and provide a way for our salvation. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ and paid for the sins of the world, and this, this is love. Now, we have to be careful because in verse 8, there's a warning, and we, we can't miss this. We must heed this warning because he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. In other words, you say you know God. You say you're a friend of Jesus, yet your life is not characterized by a God-like love. John's saying, man, I, I don't think you know God like you think you do. Why? Because God is love and, and you can't know God and not overflow with his love for others. It's impossible. You see, it's one thing to talk about love. It's a whole other thing to show it. 
And God is not just a talking God. He's a doing God. He's an acting God. He's a serving God. Look back at verse 9. You guys with me? Doing okay? Verse 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest. Made manifest simply means that God's love was revealed to us. It was made clear. His love was put on display. And it continues and says, The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now, the truth is this, and maybe, maybe you're like me and there might be some folks in your life who, who are hurting. Some statements are, are made that says, well, does anybody really care? Does anybody really love me? Maybe they've been abused or abandoned or betrayed or lied to or, or mistreated or deeply wounded. It's possible that's even your story. Maybe this describes your thought processes. Maybe you've experienced moments in life where you feel alone, you feel abandoned, you feel let down, and you could barely get out the question, does God really care? Does anybody truly love me? And the good news of the gospel responds to that question with a resounding, yes, yes, you're loved and you'll always be loved by a God who is love and wants to shower you with his love. How do we know? Well, he tells us, we know because he sent his son. The love of God was what? Put on public display among who? Well, among us. John is saying, we didn't just hear about it. This is a firsthand account. And he's saying, I didn't just hear about it. I saw it. I was there. I watched as Jesus was brutally beaten for a crime he did not commit. I watched as they drove the nails into his hands and his feet. I saw as he hung on the cross in my place. And as he was mocked and ridiculed and spit on, I saw compassion in his eyes as he breathed his last breath and he cried out, it's finished. John would say, I was there three days later and I saw an empty tomb. I was there and I saw a risen Jesus and he showed me the holes in his hands and the wounds on his side. I was there as I watched Jesus ascend into heaven and as he instructed us to go and spread the ultimate message of love, the good news of the gospel, to the world around us. See, John had front row seats. John who lived an ordinary, average life, eating, walking, drinking with Jesus, and he came away completely convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah that came to not only take away the sins of John, but the sins of the world. And here's what we know. God, verse 9, God sent His one and only Son into the world and He did so for this purpose. For this purpose. That you and I might live through Him. This word only is translated from the original text. It's word monogenes, which means unique or one of a kind. There is no one else like this Son. The words of John 3.16 might be ringing in the back of your, your, your mind. And I love how uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the Message Bible. He says this, this is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. So why did He come? God sent His Son from heaven because that's where He was. He existed eternally with His Father in loving communion through the Spirit Our God was not lonely. He did not need company. The triune God existed forever in perfect loving communion and community. Like I said, God was not lonely. He was loving. And He sent His Son into enemy territory, into a world of sinners on a search and rescue mission. And He came looking for us even though you and I were not looking for Him. 
This world of humanity was dead with no life, with no hope. And I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul and his description of this in Ephesians chapter 2. You see, verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians chapter 2 gives us, an ex- uh, gives us a picture of, of who we are apart from Jesus. That apart from Jesus, this is our existence. So for some of us, this was our existence. For some of us in the room, this is our current existence apart from Jesus. And Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is our reality apart from a friendship with Jesus. But despite our rebellion, God sent His Son. And the crazy thing is, we weren't even looking for Him. You can say that we hated Him. But God still sent His Son, and, and He continues in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, the good news, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. Now this sounds strikingly similar to 1 John 4, 9, doesn't it? God sent His only Son to the world so that we might live through Him. 1 John 4, 9. What does it mean to live through Him? Well, it means to be born of God, to know God. It means to experience His love and share His love with others. It means to walk in the light, to enjoy community with one another, confess and to receive forgiveness of sins, walk as He walked, abide in His word and His will, to know the truth, to be confident in His second coming, to have victory over sin. This is the amazing life that you and I are invited into. And he goes on, look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, this is potentially one of the most amazing and wonderful, important verses in the Bible, and it points to the initiative that God took in loving us. God sent His Son to live and to die, and it, it wasn't a death that was an ordinary death. It was a death of a Savior dying in our place and bearing our punishment. This phrase, in this is love, John is pointing to the fact that God loved us first. God loved us before we loved Him. In fact, He loved us when we rejected Him. And He proved this by sending His Son. Paul says something very similar to this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And he says, but God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's a big word here. God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Everyone say, propitiation. Yeah, it's a weird word. It's a rich theological term, one of the most important in the Bible. It simply means that it's to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. Simply, Jesus took your place. He died not just for you, but instead of you. Instead of you hanging on the cross, He hung on the cross. The Gospel is that Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived and, and cannot live and died the death that, that we should have died. And, and in our place, And so that you and I can now receive God, not for our record and sake, but for Jesus' record and sake. Now, how do we respond? What do we do with this great love? What do we do now? Look at verse 11. We're almost there. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you're taking notes or underlining your Bible, 
This word ought must be circled and underlined and written in the margins because this word ought is completely intense. In the, in the original Greek language, it's completely imperative and it's even a little bit awkward. It could also read this, we're obligated to, we owe it, we're indebted, we must, we ought to, we have to. And as I read this this past week in preparation for this morning, I, could, I have to admit this, I did not like this word. Because I don't like the idea of being obligated to do something. I don't like the word ought because it feels religious. It feels legalistic. It seems overbearing. It seems too much. I thought, man, all right, God, this would be a lot more palatable if it said, well, we should love one another. But no, that's not what it says, is it? He says, we must, we ought to, we are indebted to love one another. You see, when we were in darkness, God sent his light. When we were dead, God sent his life. When we were in sin, God sent His Son. When we were in despair, God sent His love. And because of this, now I ought to, I must. John wants to ask you and he wants to ask me, in light of your understanding of God's love, where is the must inside of you? Where is the love of Jesus that so apprehends you and captures your imagination, your passions, your gifts, your abilities, that it consumes your thoughts? It consumes your career. It consumes your priorities and your calendar where you get a must inside of you. You get an ought inside of you. I'm so overwhelmed by this amazing love of Jesus. I'm so overwhelmed by the fact that I was once dead and now I'm alive. I'm so overwhelmed by Jesus' love for me. I can't continue just to, to live my own life. I must live this life. I must serve my neighbor. I must serve my church community. I can't continue to fill a seat on Sunday. I must join in with the vision and the mission of God's church. I must lay down my life. I must lay down my priorities and my desires for the needs and the desires of others. I must forgive. I must let go of jealousy and envy and strife and racism and prejudice. I must I ought to. When we truly understand what God has done for us and how much He loves us, we must love one another. And this is my prayer for you and for me. Not that we would simply leave here this morning and think, all right, I'm going to be a little more kind. I'm going to try a little harder to love this holiday season. I'll leave better tips at restaurants and I'll take some cookies to my neighbor. All that's wonderful and awesome. And, and good job if you do that. But that's not what he's saying here. All of that is good, but John seems to be expressing something that exploded at the center of his being, that radically transformed and changed who he was. He encountered Jesus, and because of his understanding of God's love for him, he got this ought to and this must at the center of his being to live this life of love, to live this life of sacrifice. And he finishes this statement in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. This phrase, God abides in us, simply means that when the love of Jesus captures you and that ought to and must explodes in the inside of you, the world will see God for who He really is. See, the world won't, won't see a portrait of Jesus that's murky and, 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 and abstract or blurry, but they'll see a picture of Jesus that's clear. John is saying the world hasn't seen God, but the only way they will is if something explodes on the inside of us and by the Spirit of Jesus and the love of Jesus, we begin to live this life of love and sacrifice. Grace Point Northwest, we may not be responsible for the entire world to see Jesus, but something inside of me says that we're responsible for Peterson Academic Center to see Jesus. 
that, we might, that we're responsible for the northwest side of this valley in Las Vegas to see Jesus. I feel responsible for Northern Ireland and Antalya, Turkey to see Jesus because of our partnerships there. And that can only happen when we fully understand the weight of God's love for us and the weight of the command that we would love others in the same way in which He loved us. Now, I'm reminded of Charles Spurgeon said in one of his sermons on this very text. He ended this with this uh, this quote, and I'm just going to end here with this quote, and then we'll pray. But he said, when you get home, sit down, say nothing to anybody, but just try if you can to realize that God did actually give up His only begotten Son, that you might live through Him. And if you are a believer in that dear Son of God, and you do live through Him, if He did bear your griefs and carry your sorrows, if He was wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities, if He did put away all your sin, then fall down at His dear feet and weep yourself away. Nay, rise and sing yourself away. And when you have done that, come back again and go forth to work for Him with all your might and try to love your fellow men at something like the rate of which God has loved you. You'll never reach that climax of love, but aim at getting as near it as you can and God bless you in the effort.